Welcome to season two of The Protectors. I should just say welcome to The Protectors because we're like 30 episodes into season two. But I want to give a great big shout out to my friends at Uniform Humor. We now have a product line. The Protectors has their own product line. It's incredible. I have t-shirts up on there. More and more items are coming every day. Coffee cups, travel mugs, uh, women's t-shirts. Everything you can imagine, it's the protector's line. So go to uniformhumor.com. We'll put a special promo code at the end. Well, you know what? I'll give it to you now. Type in 1776 and you'll get 10% off at Uniform Humor. And without further ado, I want to welcome my co-host, Kelsey, back. How you doing, Kelsey? What's up, everybody? Look, check it out. Repping my uh, podcast uh, right there, my protective podcast visor. You know, people people don't make enough of these. These are great. I you know. I love them. Play, wear them all the time, but man, these are cool. I wear it all the time because my head's like a heater. <laughs> uh, without further ado, let's get to our special guest, Aaron Williamson. Aaron is a Marine veteran, and he's done a lot in his life, and yeah. he's just getting started. Aaron, welcome to the show, man. It's great to be on. How you doing? Doing great, brother. Aaron, you've done a lot in your life so far. And let's let's just jump right into it. You know, I read your bio. I went through as much as I could find out about you. And one of the things was going from being a broken person and then joining the Marines. Let's talk about that transition from civilian life when you were younger and how the Marines changed you because it's such a great story. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Daytona Beach, Florida, and <clears throat> had some, you know, issues as a, as a child. Ended up with divorced parents and uh, got depressed at an early age. Went to a bad school, got in with that mixed crowd who uh, just didn't lead me down the right path and got into drugs, almost died in seventh grade. And uh, just really struggled through my education, you know, up until... I'd say probably until my sophomore, junior year, <clears throat> I started to kind of snap out of it a little bit and think about where my life was going, but a little bit too late then, you know, so trying to figure out what the next step was, the Marine Corps made sense to me in terms of joining the military. Uh, there was just something about that one Marine Corps poster, I don't know if you remember it, <clears throat> was the guy who had the, uh, he's all cammied up. It was like just his face, maybe down to his shoulders, that big K bar right across here. And I just saw that and figured uh, that's what I wanted to do, you know, just be a Marine. And uh, not many people believed in me. Not many people thought I could do it. So I did it, you know, went went into boot camp. And it, it shook me to the core in, in the sense of I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I, I mean, besides what you kind of hear about online, which I thought it was going to be very, very physical. And it ended up being more mental uh, or mentally challenging for me than it was physically challenging. But it just kind of, you know, I had some great drill instructors who broke me down to rock bottom, kind of built me back up and uh, really started to learn some things about myself that I didn't know existed with leadership and uh, perseverance and just courage and believing in myself and understanding that I, I really do have everything it takes to succeed. I just never knew 
what that looked like because I didn't have that structure as a kid to to guide me into in the right direction. So when I graduated boot camp and I, I remember going back home with my R and R and it was just like, wow, I can't believe I hung out with these people and this is the kind of you know the kind of shit I did. Uh, so that was that really changed my life. I, I say in all my interviews that it, the Marine Corps was truly my salvation and uh, everything I do these days, I always try and keep that love for the, the military and the Marine Corps in check because without that, I wouldn't be where I am. Well, one thing I really, really, really want to talk about is because I live here in DC and going to Arlington and, you know, I had some friends that actually worked at the tomb and I did the behind the scenes tours of it. And there's so much to the duty of, you know, honoring and respecting our fallen and those that have died. Um, I really want to get into your duty as a, a body bearer. If you could, if we could chat about that, brother, I mean, that must be a yeah. tough, tough, but honoring position. Yeah. It's, it's the most humbling duty I've ever had. I mean, out of my entire Marine Corps career, even serving with general pace, you know, there was just something extremely special about being a body bearer because, you know, you are the last image a family is going to have of their loved one. And uh, for the, for the Marine Corps, for the body bearers in DC, the way we trained was, I mean, it's hard to put it into words because it's that intense. I mean, you, you pretty much spend every waking moment you have trying to be the best you can at performing a flawless service because uh, we'd like to represent not trying to put other services down, but, you know, by being biased because of the Marine Corps, you know, we, we carry six guys on a casket. We give a final salute by raising the casket over the hole and getting into that section. I remember how, <clears throat> how serious it became early on. And I would have never guessed I'd become the section leader because when I, when I got to the section, I was 190 pounds graduating boot camp, I was 160. And I was way too small to be a body bearer, but there was something about me that they liked. So they selected me to come to the drill school. And uh, I mean, it was, we had waivers to eat. So to go through the chow line or dress blues had elastic put in them. We, uh, I mean, we, we literally just lived this, this duty for almost the four years that I was there. Hundreds of funerals, you travel around everywhere. I mean, in the middle of summer at Arlington, you might be out there doing five or six funerals in one day. And uh, I always like to keep the Marines in check in terms of it not just being drill to always, because it, it can become monotonous because you're doing it every day. But there's something special about standing there when that hearse pulls up and you see the family standing behind the hearse watching you and uh, there's there's no words to describe that feeling. And <clears throat> there's been some very emotional funerals we've had, some very big funerals, nationally televised funerals, um, spouses who have died, kids. I mean, the, the children were the hardest. And I never even knew like what this looked like until I was a bear, you know, pulling a, you know, a, a casket of a kid out of a, out of the back of a car. You know what I mean? It's so, so small, but it's forever ingrained in my mind that whole, that whole time I spent with the bears because of just 
the nature of how important the duty was. And a lot of people overlook it um, until you're actually there and you see it. Aaron, a lot of, I mean, it's incredible. A lot of people have no idea what goes into the selection of the group that you worked with. I mean, this is, this. they get selected from what I know, they get selected based off body type. Like you said, you were a, one of the smaller men, which is hard to believe. I mean, look at you and um, you seem like you've been strong for years and whatnot. And so it's a high caliber position. Not only that, it takes a lot of emotional intelligence. Not only do you have to be physically and mentally strong, but the emotional um, intelligence involved in um, in that and where you are now and whatnot, it's something to admire. And um, I definitely think that um, it's an accomplishment for sure. And I hope that you guys, um, you check in with one another, especially as veterans with the guys that you worked with. How does that look in terms of where you are now? Do you, do you does that affect you in any way long-term or do you connect with those guys still? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because there's such camaraderie in this section. There's camaraderie in each branch of the military. There's camaraderie in the Marine Corps, but it was just on a whole nother level with, with us body bearers. So all the guys I served with, we still keep in touch today. We're, some of my closest friends are those guys. And because the section means so much to me, I've stayed in touch to this date, even with the section leader, because what happens is you get different commands who come in and, you know, gradually want to change things down the line. So we all try and keep tabs on what's going on so we could be there for each other to support each other to keep those traditions alive because they can very easily just slowly dissipate into it becoming a section where you don't even recognize what it's known for. And, and for us, that's performing a flawless service to honor uh, whoever's fallen. But the, you're, you're right in the, the screening process. It's extremely uh, intense. I mean, we would fly around the country to go to different Marine Corps bases to screen people who were uh, sent, who we received their information. And you go there, you talk to them, you strength test them, you kind of see if they have that whole moral compass. And and then if they fit, you, you bring them to D.C. But, I mean, it's a 15 to 18 man section out of the entire Marine Corps. That's incredible, brother. I, I didn't know it was such a small section yeah. either. That's a lot of work and that's a lot of standby. That's a lot of, you know, what be prepared at all times. Cause you never know when well, you're going to actually have to too, bear. With, uh, with, with the importance of doing the funeral is, you know, you could get a, you could get a casket that's extremely light and then you can get one that's extremely heavy. And for instance, I would say on average caskets typically fall between the range of, uh, I'd say roughly 400 pounds, 300 pounds is usually around the weight which we, we train down there with different size caskets. And we have one called Black Death, who it's just steel iron with the thickest wow. handles you can think of. But when the casket comes up, the one I'll never forget is we have one that was, I, I believe it was 750, 800 pounds. And uh, <clears throat> literally knocked the taste out of my mouth. It was so heavy. And we had to carry it. It was one of the furthest carries we've had to, had to carry. So being that heavy and carrying it, it's, I mean, it, it's like running a marathon because you're trying to do it breathing normally, not showing any, any fatigue. You have to do everything you can. And then you just get on the bus afterwards and collapse. But you know, you, when you have the family walking behind you, that's, that's the thing that keeps you going. 
Well, thank you for that. I do. I always have to, whenever I meet anybody, it does a, such an honorable duty and a humbling duty. I always have to say thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Now, Aaron, you transition out of the military and you become a contractor in Iraq. And I always feel like there have been so many thousands of contractors that we kind of lose focus on the the struggles that you go through as a contractor being in a military zone or a war zone are a lot of the same struggles that, you know, our military members go through. You get that same PTS, you get those same TBIs, but you're kind of like this lost generation. And I do want to talk about what it felt like, you know, to go over, be a contractor and then come back and try to transition into becoming a bona fide civilian again and how tough that was. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up because uh, in a lot of my interviews, people get confused with my active duty service and being in contract work. And when I went over to do contract work, I was thinking long term and in, 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 uh, in the idea of the mission that we were going to be involved in, the base access mission with identity management was something very important and it had longevity to it that could be a career move for me, which is why I did it. I could have been. I could have went over there and been a shooter because I was, you know, General Pace's security. But I wanted to kind of use my brain a little bit more, not to say anything against the the gunslingers out there. But uh, you know, you go over, and I never really talk about my contract work just for that mere fact that there's a there's this weird mindset that people have is for contractors over there how they're, you know, undisciplined cowboys and they just do whatever they want. And, I mean, for, for me, I just, I took what I did very seriously as if I was in the Marine Corps. And uh, the, the mission that we were on was very important. I moved up to the ranks fairly quickly. My, I was on two different programs. The first two years I was on base access. The second two years I was helping the Iraqis uh, stand up their own forensics capabilities so they could have their own DNA labs and their own latent print examiners and be able to do the stuff that we were over there helping them do. <clears throat> but you have a lot of uh, you have a lot less support than you do when you're in the military, which makes it a little tough to maneuver around and get things done because one, you're a contractor, you get looked at, you know, like you're a piece of shit sometimes, and you just gotta accept it is for what it is because of everything that's happened. But um, having less support, a lot of times when you're going outside the wire, it's it can be a little more dangerous because you have less support. You don't have the uh, the air ground, uh, support coming in. If something does happen and it's, that's happened before and, you know, coming back, dealing with a lot of the, those issues is, I mean, it sticks with me today because I, I feel like we did a lot of good over there. And unfortunately, you know, there's not really much to show for it now. So it's a really hard pill to swallow, but I don't regret doing my contract work at all. Cause Funny thing, I actually still keep in touch with some of the Iraqis over there who saved my life, um, and then vice versa for me to them with certain things. Because when you're working with the Americans, especially contractors and stuff, you're uh, with what we were doing. There's a big target on your back for those guys because they come onto the base and then they leave to go home every day. So they go out in the community, and and uh, it's very obvious you just left a, an American base. I'm glad we're bringing more attention to the contract world. I did a show last week about burn pit and toxic exposures. 
because this doesn't just affect the military. It doesn't just affect civilians that are over there living. It affects contractors. And I, when I was over there, there was a ton of contractors, the green carters and other things. And yeah, there is a different type of feeling towards them back then. I'm hoping that there's more saying, Hey, you know what? Uh, these guys and girls are feeling the same effects as everybody else. The same issues mentally and physically. Let's give them the same, you know, attention that is due because these same issues are affecting everybody. So yeah, brother, I appreciate you, you know, going over there and doing what you did coming back here. I do want to talk about, you know, what happened to you when you came back, you know, you, you go from serving your country in the Marines, then serving as a contractor and coming back here, you end up uh, living out of your car. And then the next thing you know, you, you know, you get out of that situation. I want to talk about you getting out of your car and getting to where you are now and becoming a physical trainer to some of the top talent in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting time in my life right there. I, I was on this, this major high and then coming back to the States was a leap of faith to actually do more contract work with, uh, Marforce, Marforce North, the Marine Corps Component Command for U.S. Northcom. It just happened to be in New Orleans, and uh, it didn't really pan out the way I thought it was going to go. So I kind of came there and uh, fell flat on my face. Uh, fast forwarding, lost everything I had because I couldn't find work. Didn't really know anyone, and uh, I was about to go back overseas. And everyone who knew me basically told me, not to do it. They don't support me if I do it. There's so much more here in the States that I could do. So <clears throat> at the time, living out of my car, the thing that was keeping me sane was was fitness. So I was able to go to the gym and train. I had this crazy goal in my mind that, you know what, I don't care what my situation is, I'm going to compete. I want to become Mr. New Orleans, and I want to do something amazing in this city. So I just found something to kind of latch on to, to keep my mind sane. And that's what I started doing. I started personal training at this 24 hour gym, uptown New Orleans. And I'd say within about five months, I met uh, Zach Efron. So he came into the gym that I was training at doing a movie about a Marine Iraq veteran called the lucky one. And his trainer at the time was a guy named Logan Hood, who's a former Navy SEAL. He trained the cast for 300. So him and I hit it off. You know, Zach and I hit it off. They brought me to, to uh, the set to meet the producers and directors. And then they brought me on as uh, another tech advisor. Uh, Sergeant Major Devers was the main tech advisor, but he wasn't available at the time. and wasn't in New Orleans, so they brought me on. I worked with Zach, just giving him different issues of how Marines do things. Uh, all the way down to the, the basic level. And him and I just stayed in touch. And from that point on, I, I just thought to myself, wow, maybe there's something here. Because at the, at the time, I had no idea uh, the, t the film and TV industry was booming in Louisiana more than anywhere else in the world. So that's where it goes back to me saying it's a destiny thing. I met a director not too long after that, which... Uh, Loved my training, wanted to take me back to L.A., believed in everything I did. Just shy of moving to, La to Los Angeles with him, uh, I got within the course of about two weeks, I got hit up by 
uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Stallone. Zach was coming back in to do Paperboy. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just meant to stay here and, and do this. And that's what I did. And it just kind of became a guerrilla warfare thing. So I was like, I want, I want to turn this into something as big as I can possibly turn it into. So I did G.I. Joe, got back on my feet, got out of my car, um, felt alive again, felt like I was able to have a life. And uh, that's kind of where things kicked off, leading me to where I am now. I love that. What a show and what an example of how you can go from literally like nothing or rock bottom and totally change your life around. Um, that's incredible in terms of your attitude and being open to those opportunities. A lot of people, um, you know, can be in a bad circumstance and their attitude or or whatnot can prevent them from opening doors, you know, or taking opportunities like that. I like how you said destiny. Like you followed, you found your outlet, your training, you stuck to it, and then you went for it and all, you deserve everything that's came your way. I mean, it's incredible. And it's something that other people can that. relate it's, to. It goes back to the whole Marine Corps thing and the mindset, you know, making making the best of the, of the worst situation or making the best of whatever hand you're dealt. So it's amazing. I, I, I don't, sometimes I got to pinch myself to even believe that it, I did everything I am because I'm so focused on grinding, grinding, trying to achieve what I'm trying to achieve. It's when I do podcasts and interviews and stuff where we kind of go back and I'm like, Oh wow. I, I, I did. Well, it's pretty cool. I did do that. I forgot. So uh, it's pretty cool to talk about sometimes. Now I do have to give a shout out. You do work with, and I guess you're friends with JK Simmons. That dude. Uh, Unbelievable actor, man. Unbelievable. Let's talk about that, that whole relationship and how did that start? Yeah, he's uh, – I've got so many great things to say about him. I wouldn't have enough time on this podcast. But he is – he's become one of my closest friends in the industry in L.A. And uh, we met on Terminator Genesis. So I was training the cast on Terminator Genesis. And I was – I had an acting stunt role playing the refugee Terminator, which if you've seen the movie and you look for me, i die right at the beginning. So a, a lot of people – keep watching the whole movie, not realizing that I died. But anyway, back to JK, he, he, uh, he's just real. He's not one of those guys who's lost in, in fame and celebrity. And I think that's a big reason why him and I hit it off so well is because we just relate to simple, simple stuff. And <clears throat> he loved working out with me. He loved my training style. So we just kept it going. You know, whenever I was out in LA, we would, we train more and, then when I moved out to LA, we trained all the time. And then we had that one big transformation that went viral, which is his claim to fame now, because no matter what interview he's on, people are talking about that to this day still. But uh, he's one of the, he's one of the, the rare few people in the industry who, if he says something to you, you don't need a, a contract. You don't need any paperwork. His word and his handshake is, is all you need. And that is, that's almost, yeah, I would say it's virtually, virtually, virtually never happens in the industry. I learned that the hard way too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's, it's tough to find genuine people, especially in an industry like that, because that's, that's a, just a, a different animal. And Kelsey and I both know uh, it's definitely a different animal, but Aaron, yes. what's, what is next for you? Uh, 
Well, I'm working with my marketing PR team right now, just doing some online social media stuff until we're out of this COVID era. But there's several film projects that I'm attached to or I've signed letters of intent to. So whenever we're back to production, which hopefully hopefully by this fall, maybe October timeframe, I'll be back in the mix of, of doing production work, acting. And uh, that's really what I'm, I'm excited about the most because it was this year was supposed to be that game changing year for me. And, you know, back to the transition from, you know, civil or from being in Iraq to civilian living, this is acting was a, was a, a form of therapy that came way out of left field that has changed my life incredibly through, through the idea of just embracing vulnerability. Amazing brother. I love that. So you said embracing vulnerability. Um, is that something that you you practice in terms of like self-talk when you're training or you're making goals for yourself? I mean, um, I know there's a lot of people out there who have trained for quite some time and people look up to you and they're looking for advice or continued motivation or even just to start their workout. I mean, you're the elite, you know what I mean, in terms of fitness and 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 whatnot. But what would you say to somebody who's like, either starting out or at kind of like a plateau in terms of their training, like to get to the next level, mentally, physically goals in terms of their lifestyle, whatever it is. Um, trying to take it to the next level is really about for, for me, when I'm, when I'm talking to other trainers or people, I always want, if, if, if they're a trainer, I'm always telling them to, figure out what makes them unique, what makes them different than everyone else. Why would someone want to go train with you over anyone else? And if they can, if they can figure that out, capitalize on that and get that message out there, you can start to attract that different demographics and and move into that next phase of your training career. And as someone who's just training, trying to get to that next level physique wise or strength wise or endurance wise, it's really about, buckling down on the nutrition, which for me, I I love that mindset of it because that's the part of competition prep I missed is when someone looks at you, they're like, Oh, how do you do that? And I can, I can give them the exact layout of everything I do every day, but they don't have the mindset to do it. So it's embracing that mindset of, I don't want to eat, but it's time to eat. So I'm going to eat, or it's time to train for the second time today. And Oh, by the way, I still have to go back and do a cardio session. So it's it's adopting this mentality that a lot of people don't have or just can't do it because they're not strong enough up there to 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 adopt the mindset. So those are just the little tips I have for people to uh, to take it up. And if you can do that, then you're off to the races. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Um, Great story, man. And I'm glad you came on the show to talk about it. Is there anywhere we could find you? Obviously on social media. So let's throw out all the, anything you want to plug right now, feel free. I'm on everything. Uh, I'm, I'm most active probably on Instagram. I just am learning this TikTok thing. I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, you name it on there. But my website is AaronWilliamson.net. All my social media links are attached there. And uh, I try and respond to every message I get. Sometimes they get buried. You know, I don't understand how social media works sometimes with algorithms. And then you get messages that go in like 13 different folders and you got to figure mm-hmm. out what's what. I'm on there. I respond. I love to communicate. And uh, if people have questions on there, I love to answer them. 
Thanks. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Aaron. It's great to hear about your backstory. I appreciate what you guys do with your uh, with your show, and especially when it comes to law enforcement too. It's it means a lot. I've got a lot of good friends who uh, who are in that line of work, and obviously, it's a big uh, it's a big transition for military guys to go into law enforcement. So yeah, much respect for you guys. Thanks. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you for the interview. Semper Fi, it's amazing to look up to you as an athlete, as someone who's overcome, you know, circumstances in their life and whatnot, and literally came from, you know, highs and lows and where you're at now. It's just incredibly inspiring. And um, especially what you did in the Marine Corps. Um, anyone that knows about that duty, it's something, there's something to be said for it and where you're at now. It's just incredible. So thank you for sharing your insight and thank you for sharing your story. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Thank you for that. And thank you for allowing me to talk about the bears because a lot of people, maybe it's a, it's a subject too touchy for people. So I don't, I've not been able to talk about that much. So I appreciate uh, getting that word out there. Absolutely.